0: The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com.
1: The crisis at Hewlett Packard over allegations that its chairwoman, Patricia Dunn, authorized illegal surveillance of HP board members in order to find out who leaked sensitive information to the press is dragging on perhaps longer than most people first expected. And it has raised a number of important issues about corporate governance, privacy protection, and surveillance of employees. Tom Donaldson, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at Wharton, is joining me, Robbie Shell, Editorial Director of Knowledge at Wharton, and Makul Pandya, Editor-in-Chief, to talk about HP's woes and relate them to business practices in the U.S. and abroad. Tom's research areas include business ethics, leadership, risk management, and corporate compliance. He has consulted with companies ranging from Goldman Sachs and Wachovia to Exelon and KPMG, and is currently working on articles about cash management practices at nonprofit organizations and corporate risk management programs. Tom, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Last week, HP said it had named a new vice president and chief ethics and compliance officer, his predecessor having been fired for his role in the current spine scandal. This begs the question, do ethics officers really have a viable role to play in corporations, and what should that role be?
2: It's embarrassing um, for an ethics officer to find himself, as Mr. Hunsaker did, in a situation where he not only failed to stop an unethical practice but ended up uh, aiding and abetting it. One of the challenges that we have now as ethics officers have become more common is that they are often asked to play the role of policemen. This puts them in an investigatory uh, context where some of the key issues are ethical in themselves. It's uh, striking that a number of ethical officers uh, fail to remember ethics as they pursue ethical uh, issues.
0: Uh, What do you think is the reason for that?
2: Ethics programs have uh, arisen over the last uh, couple of decades. They had their genesis in the defense industry scandals of the late 80s, where if you recall, toilet seats were being sold to the government for $6,000 hammers for hundreds. And this outraged people as it should. And so ironically, the ethics initiatives that we see, especially in the U.S. right now, the corporate criminal sentencing guidelines and the ethics programs that have been put in place – Um, come from a set of unsavory practices. The problem is uh, what the defense industry created was an approach to compliance that was extremely rule-based and and carrot-and-stick oriented. In other words, it's if you follow the rules, you may get a carrot. If you don't, you're almost certain to get the stick. This has put ethics officers often in the position of, again, being policemen. Uh, one of the most striking uh, sets of of data out of the area that I work in, which uh, these are data that come from five uh, separate studies over a 25-year period, uh, show that there's no real correlation, in fact, between having one of these compliance programs with an ethics officer on the one hand and on the other lowering uh, unethical behavior. Now, some of this uh, has to do with the fact that um, well, correlation, as you know, doesn't imply causation. Where you have more doctors, you have more disease, but it doesn't mean that doctors cause the disease. Where you have problems, you get compliance programs. Um, but these data should say one thing to us very loudly, and that is, having a compliance program with an ethics officer is. And Hewlett Packard had one in spades is no guarantee at all that you're going to be able to avoid unethical practices. Did the Enron-era companies, WorldCom, uh, Global Crossing, Tyco, did they have compliance programs? You bet. Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Skilling of Enron uh, infamy was known as the guy who beefed up compliance at Enron. I was recently at Tyco uh, talking with their executives and I can tell you Tyco has every ethics and compliance bell and whistle in the world. It's got the wallet cards and the plexiglass statues and, and everything for a reason, for a reason. So um, it, it, compliance programs are very important but when we put ethics officers in the policeman role, um, there, are, there are difficulties.
0: Uh, Even if you don't look at the ethics officers, what about the chairperson? I mean, coming back to HP, what would you uh, think about the role of Patricia Dunn? Do you think she stepped over the line?
2: Of course, we're going to find out more about what Patricia Dunn did and did not do as this uh, works its way through the legal system. But I think most of us find it unsatisfying to hear Patricia Dunn saying, I thought pretexting was legal and I didn't actively supervise the pretexting, most of us want to say, you know, if you find out that you have to fake your identity in order to find the personal telephone records of members of boards of directors who would never give this information up. Otherwise, there's a problem. There's a red flag. A bell should go off and you should say no, whether you think it's, it's legal or not.
1: What about Mark Hurd? What is his role in this, if any?
2: Mark Hurd is, uh, is a lucky guy. Um, a lot of people have looked at this and said, um, you know, this is one reason why we shouldn't split the role of chairman and, and CEO. Uh, Hewlett Packard is one of the companies that's following what some people think is best practice. They, they split these roles. Um, in this instance, uh, by splitting these roles, uh, we're able to have Hurd continue, I think, Uh, as an effective leader at Hewlett-Packard, even though he no doubt made some mistakes. Uh, If he had been chairman of the board, I think it would be harder for him to stay on, or if he stayed on, he'd stay on under a big cloud. Hurd inherited um, the mess on the board and, as you know, has done very well uh, performance-wise for for Hewlett-Packard. So unless we find out more about what he knew. Now, he did. He did. Approve a kind of pretexting in an email that Mr. Hurd looked at an email that was clearly um, going to be sent by a fake identity. It was a fake email, and he said that's okay. But I think it was only one email. um, He'll probably stay on.
1: So, what does this whole case say about the state of corporate governance in the
2: U.S.? Well, I think it says we need to pay a lot less attention to how to rearrange the chairs on the board and more about whom we put in the chairs. In other words, since the Enron era scandals, there's been a flurry of research and talk about board structures, more independent directors, uh, audit committees uh, structured in, in particular ways. So, for example, we have experts now who are required to head the audit committees Uh, Some of these things came as a result of the Sarbanes-Oxley legislations. Some came as a result of uh, changes in the – in indexes like the New York Stock Exchange and their requirements for listing. Um, But frankly, we don't have very good evidence to suggest that these structures, as important as they are and as important, are going to go very far towards preventing uh, some of the disasters, both ethics – ethical and non-ethical that have happened – I spoke recently with um, Ira Milstein, who's uh, one of the leading uh, experts in in corporate governance. And he said, and I think he's right, if boards would pay more attention to vetting the people who come in, looking at their backgrounds, asking hard questions. Is this a kind of person whose history tells us that they're the kind of person who has stood up in the past and said the emperor has no clothes, who would say pretexting? Uh, That's not the kind of thing that we do at Hewlett Packard. Um, people with respected uh, credentials, uh, and from the standpoint of character, uh, we probably do better than, than some of the governance structural reforms. What
0: is the U.S. government's policy on privacy, and how does it compare to the European approach, which tends to offer stronger privacy protections than the U.S.?
2: Well, people imagine wrongly that we have uh, tighter privacy uh, provisions than Europe. Just the reverse is true. And uh, I know that when – because I've helped uh, one or two of them, when American corporations design procedures for investigations like the one that occurred at Hewlett-Packard and patterns of response hotlines, open-door policies and so on, systems where anonymous reports about wrongdoing can get up to the top, they're now being stopped often in Europe because the privacy legislation in Europe is much stricter. And to make an accusation about somebody anonymously uh, without letting that person respond or know about what's going on is actually considered an invasion of privacy. So um, perhaps because of the experience uh, during the war, um, for whatever reason, historically, culturally, Europe has much tighter policies than we do. People don't believe it. We, the, the, pretexting is one thing. Corporations now uh, will regularly monitor, employ phone calls, uh, engage in surveillance, uh, and in the outside world, that is outside uh, business and, and corporations, it's not completely clear that pretexting is illegal. There was a bill, as you probably know, in the U.S. Congress to get this done. It was gently pushed back. One hopes the HP scandal will finally uh, bring the Congress to a point where it affirms what most of us say. I don't want my telephone records searched by somebody pretending to be me.
1: Would the reaction to the HP scandal have been any different in Europe? Uh, Is corporate governance viewed differently there?
2: Corporate governance is viewed differently, and uh, one thing is is very clear. Uh, If you include a compliance system as a part of the corporate governance apparatus, the Europeans are much less sanguine than we are in the United States about the ability of compliance systems in themselves to to handle problems. They see these often as excessively legalistic. Um, And at the same time, uh, they are attentive to board structure issues, uh, the Europeans, as you probably know, require the tasks of CEO and chair to be split. Uh, we don't do that, although I will say that in about 80 percent of the large corporations at the present time, you have um, people serving as lead directors. They aren't they aren't chairs that are uh, independent members of the board. So we've come a long way towards doing that. Um Would the HP scandal have been viewed differently? I think it would have been viewed as uh, even worse than it was in the United States.
0: Uh, What do you think the effect of the scandal will be on HP? Do you think it will uh, lead to some major changes there? Or will this just be regarded as an aberration and people will try and forget about it as quickly as possible?
2: Well, of course, the tragedy for HP is that it's the company that Lay at the genesis point of a lot of some of the best of what's happened in in corporate ethics in the last few decades. HP, under the influence of of, uh, Hewlett himself and Packard himself, adopted the so-called HP way. They were one of the first to develop a broad culture of uh, attentiveness to integrity. They've rewarded people to have something like this happen is a is a huge black eye. But you know, I got to say. Everybody says, well, it just shows you that ethics doesn't make that much difference. Notice Hewlett-Packard's stock price. It hasn't dropped very much, and yet we clearly have uh, problems at 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 least the board level. My sense is, let's face it, Hewlett-Packard was a dysfunctional board before any of this happened. We're talking about the era of Carly Fiorina. People had already discounted the ability of the board in HP's stock price long ago. So I'm not terribly surprised that it hasn't negatively affected stock price.
1: What do you think will happen to the five defendants in the case?
2: My crystal ball uh, doesn't say much about that. This is, believe it or not, a, a an opaque legal issue. Uh, again, it's not at all clear that what they did is illegal. I think a lot of it depends on the venom and, and, and publicity gained by the attorney general in California, how far he wants to, to pursue this. Um, I hope that it at least garners enough media attention so that the signal is sent loudly to people like us who read newspapers that we need to encourage our congresspeople to to put some laws in place to, to prevent this kind of thing from happening again.
0: Uh, I I remember, Tom, in one of the early email exchanges we had about this uh, HP situation, you had described it as a very interesting mess. Uh, uh, What do you think will be some of the uh, most long-lasting lessons uh, of of the situation at HP in terms of corporate governance?
2: Well… Uh, It is an interesting mess and uh, may go down in the annals of corporate history as uh, the nastiest privacy mess ever to hit a board. Um, What is the legacy of HP? That's a a fascinating question. I'll take one thing straight out, and that is you're not going to have boards of directors um, pretexting to find uh, phone messages that that practice is dead at this point, and 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 as well it should be. I think the bigger question is whether boards are going to, when they confront a situation like this, not pretexting, but but a situation where, for example, there may be leaks on the board, or there may be a need for an investigation, whether they do what HP should have done but didn't do, and that is. Everybody talks about it. You make a decision together about what to do, and you agree on the methods all the way down that you're going to use to to garner this information. Um, and I'm hopeful. Um, I've actually had the opportunity to work uh, recently with a couple of boards, uh, as the HP mess has been unfolding. And in both instances, uh, the directors got the message.
1: Aside from don't pretext and the other things that you just mentioned, do you have any kind of general advice to offer to corporate board members in the future?
2: Boards, um, members of boards of directors are, are in an unenviable situation today because everybody's placing, I think, way too much uh, weight on the power of the board to. Affect some of the changes that are important. In other words, many, if not most people, blame the Enron era scandals on failures of boards. Let's face it, members of boards of directors are and always will be, to some extent, part-time strangers to a corporation. They have other lives. What do I hope the legacy will be? I hope that boards at least will uh, understand well, that in the end, there has to be a constructive tension between themselves and the executive officers of the organization. I, I call it constructive uh, tension because it, it it it's a tension, but one that both sides understand where the board asks, um, what are our challenges now? And will you provide me information on a regular basis that relates to some of the risks that I'm responsible for? I would like to see some board, more boards than present have independent staffs so they can conduct investigations on on their own. Um, I would like to see um, uh, more boards meet more often in executive sessions. Um, But in the end, in the end, um, we have to look at the whole panorama of what's happening in the corporation if we want to manage things like pretexting our, our ethics well um, we need to have our compliance system put together. That's right. But most important, we have to have the leaders, board members I- included, uh, communicating with the entire organization on a regular basis about what counts, what doesn't count, and uh, in effect, create the culture in which people feel that they can speak up uh, and and, and v- avoid some of these, these challenges that, w- that we're seeing.
1: Good. Thank you very much.
2: Well, it was a pleasure.